Hello and welcome back to another episode. And today we're continuing our mini series for saving for college and financial aid. And we again have our special guest, Jack Wang on, who is a wealth advisor at Innovative Advisory Group in the Smart College Buyer Program. Today's topic is going to be what are the basics around financial aid for college and what options are available? Last week, we talked about what options are available for college savings. We talked about various different vehicles and the questions you need to ask beforehand. So if you haven't checked that episode out, do so now. And now we're going to get started on kind of what are the basics around financial aid to dive into that piece of the program. And Jack is also going to be on our tax minimization program where we're going to deep dive into college savings, financial aid, uh, and items around that. So if you have not checked out our tax minimization program yet, do so now. Go, now go to taxsavingspodcast.com forward slash tax. Jack, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, gl- glad to be back. I'm really excited to uh, to be talking about this with you. Yeah, last week was a ton of fun. We were kind of talking about the options for college savings. But as we were kind of talking about those options, we got to the point where now we're thinking about financial aid and how do these saving options play into financial aid. So let's kind of kick off this week and just let's know, you know, what are the basics around financial aid? What are the different types of aid that are out there when we're looking for uh, college for our, our children? Yeah. Um, you know, so the best way to think about this is most families to, to start, most families think about financial aid and the financial aid form known as the FAFSA. Um, they think about it as the tax return. If you think about uh, in a tax context, right? When do most people think about taxes? It's when they have to file, right? G- generally, right? So they think about how filling out their tax return is doing their taxes. But you and I know that really taxes should be considered throughout the year, right? Because the tax return only tells IRS what has already happened. Well, in a lot of ways, the financial aid form is the same way. In fact, it even pulls data from the tax return. So they're very, very similar in concept. But if you take a step back, right, and and really think about sort of how does financial aid work and and where does that money come from? It goes well beyond just doing the form. And this is and this part is is the part that unfortunately most families don't think about. So aid really breaks down into two components. There is merit, which is typically scholarships, and it's based on, as the name suggests, right? It's based on your grades or your test scores or, um, you know, or your athletic ability, right? People, you know, often hear about, oh, you know, uh, a student is going to college and going to play this sport at college and they got an athletic scholarship. Well, that's a form of a merit scholarship, based on their abilities. There's also, you know, artistic scholarships, you know, for really talented individuals who play uh, a particular instrument or sing or whatever, right? They get a merit scholarship based on their artistic talent. So that's one category. The other major category, which is which is based on, primarily based on what you fill out on the financial aid form, is called need-based aid, right? Or so-called financial need-based aid. And here, this is this could be grants, which is you know money you don't have to pay back. It can be in the form of loans, or it could be in the form of things programs like work study, where you get an on-campus job. So there are other types here, and there is a, a method to the madness behind this. 
But the other important thing to understand is where does the money actually come from? And so with the focus on filling out the FAFSA, the financial aid form, in fact, a number of states now mandated as part of high school graduation. Well, I, I don't know if it's really graduation requirement, but they but they make all the students fill it out whether you're going to college or not, because they don't want anybody to miss out on any potential money. Parts in the right place. I'm not sure about the execution, but <laughs> but most people think because it's a federal form that the majority of aid comes from the federal government. And that's that's both true and not true at the same time. So it is true that the majority of financial aid does come from the U.S. government, right? It also comes from the states individually, much smaller, but but it can do that. But the majority of aid, probably about two-thirds of the $150 billion a year or so that the federal government spends on college, um, college aid, uh, about two-thirds of that is in the form of loans, right? So whether you're a homeless person or you are a billionaire, you generally qualify for federal loans. So that's not, so it's aid, but it's not really, because you don't really need to do anything special to get it, even though you have to pay it back. So that leaves only about one third, I think it's about a $50 billion or so that's actually in the form of like grants or work study money or uh, veterans benefits, you know, money. And also there's grants money you don't have to pay back. Well, it's a lot of money. But if you look at what college the, the colleges themselves give each year, it's actually, I think, 70 or $80 billion. So colleges themselves actually give more money in aid than the federal government actually does when you're not counting just loans. And colleges themselves can give uh, grants, their own loans. Some of them have their own work-study programs. But here's the point with this, Mike, and that is, the majority of aid comes from the colleges themselves. Therefore, their money, their rules. And so people don't think about that way. They think that there's some magic bullet or magic item I can put on the FAFSA and it's going to magically get them a ton of aid. When reality is a school can completely ignore their financial aid, you know, the financial aid form if they want in granting out aid. Now, most schools don't do that. You know, they take it as a guide, but they're certainly allowed to deviate from families uh, or from uh, uh, the FAFSA information giving out aid, which is why um, when most families say, oh, I'm too rich to qualify for aid or I make too much money to qualify for aid, that's actually not true. Right. So that's really um, that's really what is. And, and again, we like scholarship aid. We like grant aid because we don't have to pay those back. But again, that money comes from the colleges, not generally not the federal government. Wow, that's really interesting. So even on the loan side, too, uh, you're saying traditionally your income level might not disqualify you from receiving a loan from the federal government. Right. So um, so with federal loans, there's generally two types. Uh, one is to the student. It's called the direct loan. And and the amount that a student can borrow, and at the undergraduate level, the amount that they can borrow is really, really low. It's nice in that it's generally a low rate, low interest rate, fixed interest rate also, no co-signer, no credit check, because the federal government understands that, hey, these are students, right? These are 18-year-old students. They probably don't have a full-time work history or much of a credit history. Okay. 
But the federal government also gives out a lot of uh, what's called plus loans, which are actually to the parent. And and really, the qualification for that is is just filling out a FAFSA. So uh, a a billionaire family can still get these loans if they want, or a homeless family can get these loans. And there's almost no credit check. Uh, now, now there are certain credit factors that they consider, but credit score is not a factor. Having income is not a factor, right? So you can have a really low credit score and be out of work and still be able to borrow the $80,000 a year if you need to, to send your kid to the most expensive schools in the country. So, mm-hmm. which is just amazing, right? So, so really the basic criteria for getting a federal loan is you, uh, A, you have to be alive. B, you have to be able to hit a button on a computer. And C, you or your kid have to be going to college somewhere. Right? And it doesn't really, I mean, yes, and, and you know, all joking aside, there are some other true factors that actually do matter. But but in practice, it just seems like if you're breathing and you can hit a button, you're good to go. Um, but but so you know because of that, you don't really think of it as aid because there's no there's otherwise no qualification criteria because anybody can get it generally. Um, yeah. You know the the true aid that comes in the form of scholarships and grants, and we actually you know have to have certain grades or meet other criteria. That that's from the school themselves, right? That's the bulk of the money. And that's what most people don't realize because they just think about much like taxes. Well, I did my, I filled out my 1040. So that's my tax planning for the year. Similarly for financial aid, I filled out the FAFSA. That's the, that's the financial aid planning I did for the year. I'm good. In reality, it's just, it's, it's way beyond that. Yeah. That makes complete sense. So we, we talked about kind of this merit based financial aid and this need base, which is the grants, the loans, the work study. Now, when we're looking at these types of items, how, and obviously if some of this is done at the school level and, and some is done at the federal level, but what are they looking at or what are they using to determine whether you qualify or not? So basically kind of what what is counting towards that determination of, of who's qualifying? Yep. So, um, so colleges use one of two financial aid formulas. Um, I won't get into too much detail, but but the bottom line is, regardless of whatever formula that the college uses, they they look at two primary things. They look at your income, and they look at your assets. So, as so, we'll start with the easier one. The assets is what you own, right? Uh, and it's generally financial assets or investments. So, uh, personal assets like clothes and furniture and cars, even. Uh, even if you have a Ferrari or multiple Ferraris, they don't count as long as they're for personal use and not investment use. But so we're generally talking about things like bank accounts, investment accounts, like brokerage accounts. 529s do count as a, a asset. Um, even trusts, if if a parent and or student are either the trustee or the, or beneficiary of a trust, then the asset value of that trust also counts. And in some instances, the equity in your home, in your primary home, also counts as asset. Not for all schools, but some. Um, a common question I get here is, well, what if I have multiple 529 accounts because I have multiple children? I know in the last episode, I briefly mentioned how there's always two names on a 529. There's the legal owner, which is typically the parent, 
and then the beneficiary, which can be, you know, one account for each kid. But, you know, so parents will ask, well, if I have three kids and three 529 accounts, do I have to report all three? The answer to that 99.9% of the time is yes, because the parent is the legal owner. And as the legal owner, you have the right to change beneficiaries to any time or whatever, and you own it, so they all count. What doesn't count are things like retirement accounts, right? Your IRAs, your 401ks, 403bs, things like that. Uh, and uh, things like cash value inside life insurance policies does not count. And then for the majority of schools, the equity in your primary home does not count. So that's assets. One thing to note, you'll notice I did not say anything about debt, right? So, and, and I've seen this, families could be up to their eyeballs and credit card debt, auto loans, whatever, Debt does not count, or their own student loans. Debt does not count. Now, it counts in in the in the case of like houses, right? Because uh, if your house counts, it's only the net equity. So you have a big mortgage and little equity, then debt there does indirectly count. But otherwise, debt is not a factor. That's assets. On the income side, it's what you earn, right? Wages. Business income, rental income, interest, dividends, capital gains, but also there can be other sources of income that you wouldn't think about in a tax consequence in a tax context, but do count for financial aid. So the rules are about to change. All right, actually, they're they're really effectively changing now in 2022. But it used to be that untaxed income account. So, for example. Uh, child support received. Well, that's not taxable, but that would count. Uh, non-taxable alimony received would also count for financial aid. Even the the gain on selling your primary house, right? Uh, you know, listeners, I'm sure know, married filing jointly, you sell your primary home, you have up to a $500,000 capital gains tax exclusion. Well, if you sold your house and and made, you know, had a $500,000 capital gain, Per the IRS, it's tax-free, but for financial aid, that's $500,000 in income. So there are a number of places where how the IRS defined income and how financial aid defined income were very different. Now, a number of those rules are changing. So like child support would no longer count, non-taxable alimony will no longer, no longer count, the, the, uh, the capital gains on houses won't count, but a couple other things will still count. Um, but, but that's income. So your, your income may be a little bit different than what your tax return says. But again, here, you'll notice I didn't say anything about expenses, right? So if you, um, if you like to go on you know, first-class vacations all the time, if you uh, only buy organic produce as opposed to the non-organic stuff that I get, you know, and you pay more for it, or if you're a Starbucks person and not a local coffee shop person, you know, whatever, you know, whatever thing you want to use, right? Your lifestyle does not factor into the calculation. So oftentimes people in, in East Coast cities, particularly in the Northeast where I am, they'll say, well, how's this fair? Because do you know how much it costs to live in Boston? It's insane. Rent's high, whatever, right? Compared to, let's say, family lives in Wyoming. Yeah, th there's no accounting for that. It doesn't matter. So, but it's income and assets, and income weighs far heavier than assets. 
So assets generally are assessed, taxed, if you will, about a 5-ish percent rate. The formulas are a little bit different, but they're both in the 5% range. So it's like a 5% tax. But income, on the other hand, is a sliding scale, much like much like our tax code, right? Graduate tax code. The higher income, the higher percent you pay, uh, the tax rate you pay. So in a financial aid, it slides between roughly about 20% to as high as 47%. And then for schools who use a different form, it goes up above 50 to 51%. So income is a far, far heavier weight, far heavier factor than assets. So a lot of times people say like, oh, I should move money around and, you know, take it out of my kid's name or or go bury some money in my backyard temporarily so I don't have to report it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, the reality for most families is it doesn't matter, right? It, it doesn't make enough of a difference to do that because your income weighting just overwhelms your asset weighting. Now, when we look at that income weighting, you know, how far back are we looking? So, you know, if if ten years ago we were CEO of a major corporation and and was making a million dollars a year, but now we retired and and so now our children are going to school now, how far back do they look at income, or how do they determine that income number? Yep, great question. So it's actually a two year look back. It's actually called prior prior year. So let's just use an example. Um, so let's suppose um, let's suppose you have a high school senior. So um, you know, I, I, I hate to date these things, um, but at the time we're recording, it's toward the end of a school year. So let's suppose you have a high school senior who's going to go to college in the fall, right? So fall of 2022, which generally means that they would have filled out the financial aid form in fall of 2021, the beginning of their senior year. Well, the financial aid form in fall of 2021 uses the most recently available tax return, which would be your 2020 tax return, right? Because you're, because remember, your 2021 tax return would not be filed until April of 2022. Right. So fall of 21, what do you have? What do you have? You have the 2020 tax return. So that's why when people say it's a prior prior year is the first year of college in this example, 2022 and the financial aid you get for the first year of college of 2022 is really based on the prior prior year, which is based on the 2020 tax return. And then that just rolls forward. So this sometimes causes confusion. So people say, oh, so your so your sophomore year counts or your junior year counts. And that's not exactly correct. As parents, right, we tend to think of years in terms of the academic year. But if you think about the tax return of 2022, it covers January to December. Well, what grade was your kid in in 2020 if they're about to graduate as a high school senior? So that calendar year, the first calendar year, actually known as the base year, covers the spring of your sophomore year of high school through that following summer, through the fall of junior year, right? Spring of sophomore year of high school to the fall of junior year of high school is the first year that we count and then again roll forward each year after as you move forward in college. So what I like to tell people is that, you know, anything prior to that 
doesn't matter, right? You could have made a billion dollars or nothing, but prior to that initial year, it doesn't matter because it doesn't count. It doesn't get looked at. But during that year, you want to really try and look poor on paper. So the you know so the running joke is let's say let's say if your son or daughter was wrapping up fall semesters of of sophomore year, right? So right before the year counts, and you know your boss at work says, "Hey, Mike, I like to give you a million dollar bonus on January first, which would be now into spring of sophomore year." What you actually want to say is no. Thanks for the million dollar bonus, but instead of paying me on January 1st, can you pay me on December 31st? Because it would be the prior calendar year and therefore would not count. Mm. Right. Now I don't know how many people can control that, but that's the ideal. Um, so for families who do qualify for financial aid, the timing and the amount of income they're going to show really matter because. What ends up happening is people often will unintentionally uh, kill their chances for financial aid. <clears throat> but again, if your income is such that you're just not going to qualify for aid, then again, it's, you know, do whatever you want. Yeah. And that's super helpful. I'll, I'll definitely remember that whenever I get that million dollar bonus offer, I'll, I'll be sure to let uh, my boss know it, it needs to come December 31st and and avoid it from coming in the base year. Exactly. Um, and, and let me just give you one quick example, if I may. Um, so a, a common example of, of how people, let's say, mess up their their chances for financial aid themselves, right? For the families where it matters. So during that base year or or every year thereafter, right? Because you have to fill out the financial aid form every year in college. Um, <clears throat> a family might say, hey, you know, Mike, I have an old 401k from a prior job. I never rolled it over or anything like that. But, you know, I'm just going to cash that in and use the money to redo my kitchen. Right? Or, or whatever, right? That's a fairly common type of situation and has nothing to do with college. But as I'm sure that all the listeners know, right, when you cash in a 401k, that counts as income. So imagine if your kid is in that base year, right, spring of sophomore year to the fall of junior year, and you're the parent saying, you know what, I really want a new kitchen. So I'm going to cash in this old 401k and take the money and redo my kitchen. That transaction has nothing to do with college. But if you don't time it right and you end up doing it the base year or any year thereafter, if you qualify for aid, then that transaction has a lot to do with college. Because now if you think about it, on that sliding scale, that assessment on the income side, it's 23 up to 47 or 50%. So you cash in a $50,000 401k, not only are you going to take the tax hit and potential penalty hit, but now it can cost you potentially 50% of financial aid also. That's a really bitter and big pill you got to swallow for something that you may have not, you may have thought that had absolutely nothing to do with college. Yeah. 
No, that's a good point. And, and our next uh, next week, we're going to be talking about what strategies are available to increase college financial aid, and, and kind of talking about that. So that's that definitely plays well into that. So, um, Jack, this has been an, an, another incredible episode. We're kind of talking about the basics. I think this is a really good understanding of of those basics around financial aid. We also Jack uh, wrote up a blog post for us. That link for that will be in the show notes. It kind of digs a little bit deeper into what we talked about here. There'll also be an area where you can fill a form to get uh, Jack's information. If you want to get connected with him, we can get you an introduction to him. And Jack, again, will also be coming on our tax memorization program. We're going to be diving deeper into this. So if you want to join our tax memorization program to not only hear more from Jack, but all the other strategies that we talk about, check that out at taxsavingspodcast.com forward slash tax. So Jack, thanks again for, for joining us in this episode of kind of what are the basics around financial aid for college? Any parting remarks on this topic before we next week dive into strategies that are available to increase college financial aid? One parting thought is, um, I'm sure it would be of interest to listeners here. Um, what might be good for taxes might hurt you for financial aid and vice versa because they are related, but not exactly the same. So it pays to be careful. Excellent. Well, yeah, again, thanks for listening to this episode. If you did not check our first one about college savings, check out last week's episode. And again, we look forward to seeing you back with Jack next week when we talk about what strategies are available to increase college financial aid. Thanks again, Jack.